a lot of times you don't realize when you're like that far out in the cutting edge of this stuff, like how far out you are. And I think the, um, the interest in especially um, grain and malt is just now starting to catch up with us. I'm Jeremy Storton. I'm a certified Cicerone and the Beerlandia columnist for 1859, Oregon's Magazine. I believe there's a story behind every brewery, every brewer, and every Oregon beer that finds its way into your glass. I'm on a mission to find those stories and bring them to you. This is Beerlandia, a podcast about Oregon and the great beer you'll find here. Grain to glass, plow to pint, farm to fermenter. These are all phrases that express our Oregonian awareness and preference of knowing the origin story of that delicious beer in our glass. To be fair, craft brewing has done very well for itself using mass-produced and widely available ingredients to brew the beers we've come to love. But if we're to take craft brewing to the next level, we require craft ingredients. This shift has cultivated a reconnection to the land and to the farmers that make our beloved beverages possible. We know that better beer comes from farms, not factories. But how much do we really know about the farmers that grow better ingredients for our brews? When's the last time you sat at a farm with a homegrown beer in your hand and connected it to a place? Signs that suggest we are re-entering a time where local and regional flavor will once again prevail have popped up over the past decade. Flavors that give a sense of place and are worth traveling for may be on the horizon. But all of it begins with the beer farmers in our communities. Beer farmers like Seth. My name is Seth Klon. I'm an owner, farmer, and maltster at Becca Great Estate Malt in Matters, Oregon. We've been homesteading here on the same place since 1905. Um, We grow grain on our own family farm. We source 100% of what we grow, which is malted, and then sold directly to brewers and distillers. If you were to drive about 55 miles north of Bend or 80 miles south of the Dalles, you would find farmland amidst some beautiful Oregon terrain. To the west of us is the Cascade Mountain Range. You can see Mount Jefferson. Right now you can see Mount Hood just barely peeking up above some of the mountains on the uh, Warm Springs Indian Reservation. And if you keep on driving down our driveway, it becomes the Mecca Grade. So if you were to keep on going like not too far much down our driveway, it just drops off a thousand feet from where we're at. Thousand foot drop down to the bottom of the Deschutes River. Seth's family has a very long and fascinating story. Too long to tell here, but let's just say farming is in his blood. My family has been involved with agriculture for a really long time. As far as we know, it was prior to the Revolutionary War. But one character in particular is worth mentioning. His great, 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 great grandfather, who came to Oregon like many did back in those days. He came out in the Oregon Trail, and so he brought his nursery stock, hauled his family, uh, I would, I probably would not have gone with him. He was pretty crazy. So he packed everything into a couple of special wagons um, and headed out to Oregon. Seth's quadruple great-grandfather came to Oregon during a time that was ripe for something different and offered the people of Portland something new and exciting. Portland only had about 850 people at the time, and they were selling apples for like a dollar an apple, which in looking at inflation would have been $35 an apple because there was none of that on the market at the time. He's noteworthy because of the indelible mark he left on Oregon and the entire Pacific Northwest. They were actually the first people to um, bring apples 
to Oregon. And so they were the ones that really kicked off, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest fruit industry. Fast forward to Seth coming back to the family farm after college and starting to homebrew. Like any good homebrewer, he had a DIY mindset. One day he looked out onto the farm and got to thinking. Well, it's not enough just to be, you know, a brewer in my garage. I need to learn how to malt. So I am also a self-taught uh, <laughs> maltster. As his obsession for malt grew, so did the complexity. Eventually, the whole process gained some real momentum. So I started malting in my garage. I used cookie sheets to spread out, you know, um, sprouting grain. I was using five gallon buckets to uh, steep the grain. I built my own kiln. And there's just a lot of steps when it comes to malting. But before we go on with the story, I asked him why he was so obsessed with malt. It's a big component of beer. I think after water, it's the second most important part of the beer. It's where you get all the flavor, all of like most of the flavor, you get, you know, the mouthfeel, color, you get so much out of it. Uh, I, I liken it to like, it's the meat of the beer, hops, all this other stuff is just the spices you put on top. I think it's also important that we clarify what malt is exactly. When people ask like, well, what is malt? Um, Malt is uh, essentially a sprouting grain, and uh, if you think about, if you think about if you were to plant a seed in your garden, right? You you plant it on the ground, um, you water it, and that plant, that seed sprouts and becomes a plant. That's exactly what we're doing in the malting process. Instead of letting it grow into a full plant, we let it get very only so far, and then we use hot air and we remove all of the moisture from that seed and that kills the, the seed in the process. After the barley seed is sprouted and dried, it then goes to the kiln to get roasted to varying degrees, much like coffee beans or bread in a toaster. And then we start kilning it, like with hotter air, more and more and more, and that's where we develop all the different flavors um, and colors that go into beer. Most malt is made in pretty much the same way, which begs the question, how do you make better malt? Most malt is designed to be a flavor neutral, like canvas to layer on hops. And I don't think that that's right either. Um, I think that there needs to be some kind of balance. The world of bread has differentiated between basic white and artisanal loaves made by your local baker. Seth started wondering if he could do the same thing for beer. We need to be, you know, focusing on like, you know, local agronomics and ideally driving unique flavors that come from that. And that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. There's no point in us growing the same varieties as the big guys, uh, malting it the same way, and then being able to say that there's anything special about that. As the idea for unique, flavorful malt grew deep roots in his mind, he learned that he would be facing a very big and unexpected challenge. And the big challenge is how do you make a luxury product out of something that's been a commodity for so long? And that's the real challenge. How do you do that? And that's basically what it was. And I think that, I hope that doesn't, like that term doesn't really turn people off, but that's essentially what it is, is what we're making. And it has to be the best. As he and his family came up with ideas to face this challenge, he sought advice from his farming peers who were less than supportive. Well, what if you, you know, make your own, your own machine that's one, like the only one like in the world that's able to have moving shallow beds. And they're like, well, no one's ever done that before. Or if it's been done before, it's like, well, that's just, that's just, that's not gonna work. So he decided to stop asking for their input, to stop thinking the same old way, and to stop following the so-called rules. And so we're able, in order to do all this stuff, we had to break a lot of rules. And um, I think, I don't know if that was just, 
I don't know, stupidity or what, but, or just like not knowing what the rules were. He knew it was risky, but he also knew what he wanted. And he figured if he was right, it would be worth it. It's super risky, but the, the flip side of that is we don't, we're not owned by like a bunch of corporate shareholders or anything like that. We can do what we want to do. And as long as it tastes good at the end of the day, like that's what we're after. So as he and his family got to work on creating unique specialty malt, first they had to figure out where to get good barley. Turns out he didn't have to look very far. I think it was all kind of serendipitous, but having gone to school at Oregon State, they have a, they have a barley breeding program there. And um, they're one of the few in the world that do that. Next, they had to figure out the best way to process the malt in a way that would cultivate the great flavor they wanted, but wouldn't require a sizable workforce. Their solution, create a floor malting machine that didn't already exist. It's the only one in the world like it. Um, and it makes a really unique product. It goes back to making sure that every single step in the process is unique. Big stainless steel jalopy. This has allowed him to focus not just on making better malty beers, but on creating better malt that will make all beers better. I like balanced beers. Part of that balance is malt. Um, so uh, if you have a really flavorful malt, um, that can pair up really nicely with some of these flavorful hops, you can make an even better hoppy beer. Over the years, they've created their own variety of malt called Full Pint with flavors unique to their farm. The flavor of Full Pint grown on our farm and malt in our process has this kind of underlying macadamia nuttiness to it that is, you know, in all the malt. And the more you toast it, you start ending up with a darker toasted malt. It almost tastes like toasted walnuts. After attaining his goal of creating unique flavors and a better quality malt, Seth realized his mission was much bigger. For us, the nice thing about having this space and especially having something, you know, tangible like beer um, at the end of this whole thing, a product that, you know, most people enjoy, is that it really tells that story of what farming is. He sees beer and local flavors as a way to form profound web-like connections. I get really excited when people can taste the difference and they're asking people for it and they get excited and they're getting reconnected back in with their, basically their local agriculture, their, their, their local grain economy that way, through beer of all things. He wanted to start a conversation, one that helps reconnect consumers to the land and to the farmers that begin the plow to pint process. Ideally, it would work great for us if people wanted to reinvest into better quality ingredients um, because that might be the, the differentiation between just a eh, beer or one that's truly, you know, world class that way. Seth's vision isn't just for the sake of farmers like him. It's for us all to rediscover a sense of regional distinction. Being able to make a beer and, you know, long like I down the chain being able to like you know experience that true sense of flavor of place terroir being able to celebrate your regional flavor differences um, that's what we're trying to do and I think by driving that you'll have that reconnection much like drinking a Munich Hellas from Munich or a Northwest Sour from Oregon if we focused on the flavors of our local region we could return to something more distinct and personal 
I think it'd be really cool if we could just go from region to region and have each region have a different flavor. And then everyone within that community, whether it's, you know, brewers, distillers, bakers, um, be using those products from their area and make it a real celebration of, of their, their local agriculture. While Mecca Grade is a working farm, Seth and his family realize that it is so much more. When people come out here, uh, not only do they get to taste the malt by itself, they get to taste it in the beer, um, but they get to have that whole experience, which isn't really a thing anywhere else. Um, and that's one thing that I've been really, really happy to be part of is communicating that and bringing people out here and sharing that experience with them. Because their malt is so unique and their efforts have been so effective, Mecca Grade's reputation is starting to precede them. So now it's becoming implied, like if you get into a beer made with our malt, you know you're gonna be in for something really unique. And we've been really fortunate the brewers that we work with want to at least say that it's made from Mecca Grade, because that's something that doesn't really happen in malt at all. Every pint of beer and every glass of whiskey made with Mecca Grade malt is a call to action to anyone seeking something better. Even the average beer drinker, that's what we want, is to empower people to um, start thinking about farming differently, um, to think about how, you know, where we're sourcing ingredients from, the importance of sourcing closer if we can, and appreciating things, you know, that taste better. Um, how much better can beer be? I think it can be a lot better. And for all of you who already know and love beers made with Mecca Grade malt, Seth has a message just for you. We really appreciate all the support that we've had um, and uh, all the fans we made along the way, and, and we're we're here for you. So that's we'll we'll keep making the malt if you keep brewing and distilling with it. Thank you to Seth Klon and the entire family at Mecca Grade Estate Malt. Beerlandia is brought to you by Statehood Media. We'll see you soon on our next adventure in Beerlandia. But until then, cheers. Cheers.